0: Thanks for pressing play. This is Lockhead on marketing. Now on this episode, let's talk about a critical question. Who are you going to be when the shit hits the fan? You see, as we've talked about on previous episodes, uh, it's starting to look like the business environment could get very hard here. And I must tell you, some in Silicon Valley are saying it could be like back in 2008 when my friends at the legendary Sequoia Capital wrote their seminal R.I.P. Good Times presentation. And if you want to see that original R.I.P. Good Times, it'll be in the show notes. The final slide of R.I.P. Good Times says, get real or go home. And no matter what's going to happen next in the economy or, frankly, the world, it's probably time for all of us to get real or go home. So on this episode, let's dig into why some people step up and others melt down in times of crisis. Also want to invite you to join me for the first ever Cloud Wars Expo, June 28 through 30, 2022, in downtown San Francisco at the Moscone Center. It might just be the most important thing to happen in the cloud since my buddy, Bob Evans, who's been on Follow Your Different multiple times. I've guested on his podcast multiple times, Cloud Wars Live. Check it out. It's awesome. It's awesome since he started tracking the Cloud Wars top 10 about six years ago. And it actually is interesting to see who he's ranked as the leaders over time. Anyway, when you come to join me at the Cloud Wars Expo, you're going to meet the biggest cloud companies. You're going to meet the coolest cloud startups. There's over 40 hours of legendary cloud education. So come on down, cloudwarsexpo.com. Now, hey-ho, let's go. Okay. So a couple stories. Um, when I was in my late twenties and into my early thirties, I was the founding CMO of a company called Scient. And we were a leader in the, um, uh, what we called e-business innovation space. We were one of the very first uh, consulting firms to focus on building e-businesses or digital businesses. And we did incredibly well. As a matter of fact, uh, the company was founded, I believe in 98, maybe late 97, something like that. And um, by 2000, we had grown to almost 3,000 people, which is incredible for a a consulting startup, essentially. And uh, we were public and had a market cap of about nine billion dollars as we headed into the uh, first quarter of 2000. Now, if you were around back then, or you've done your homework, you know the dot com bust happened. And of course, like all bad things, they happen over time. And, um, and so it built starting by about February, March, we could feel things starting to get bad. And you know, there's what many call the Forbes Curse. And I've gotten uh, two CEOs on the cover of Forbes. And shortly after, in both cases, the company and the CEO ended up having extraordinary problems. And the first was at Scient. Our CEO, Bob Howe, was on the cover of Forbes, I believe, in March of 2000. Well, shortly thereafter, we could feel the rumblings. Our pipeline wasn't starting to look very good. There was weird shit happening with our customers. And there was a slow takedown that happened from about March... Slowly, slowly, slowly building over the summer and by the fall, we were in a free fall. We had uh, clients who were spending two, three million dollars a month with us just stop. So uh, as we headed out of the third quarter into the uh, fourth quarter in the fall, we had to announce some very, very shitty numbers and we had to do the first ever uh, layoff in the history of the company. So we did all of that. It was insanely painful. Our stock fell like a turd from a tall cow. And um, I remember that summer, I had done a worst, worst case scenario with my wife for our personal finances with the stock at 20 bucks. And after we uh, announced our miss, the stock was below 20. And we had to lay off. I can't remember exactly, but it was around 20% of the company. And, of course, we had had this horrible debate that I hope you never have to have about how far and how deep to cut. So that happens. We announce the miss. We do the layoff. The people we laid off were amazing. They were cheering the company on, saying, please go forward and be successful. Scient had an incredible culture. So as painful as it was, the exiting people were, um, were, were incredible warriors and supporters. And the people who stayed really wanted to make a go of it. So we get all that done. And we're having the first e-staff, executive staff meeting after all of that on Monday as usual. So we're sitting there and I'm sitting next to our CFO and the conversation starts off and there's a nice sort sort of feedback session around how we thought the layoff went last week and blah, 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 blah. And uh, we haven't gotten down to brass tacks yet, in my opinion, which is focusing on the pipeline and focusing on our delivery and how we're going to dig out of this shithole that we find ourselves in. Instead, we're doing a review of how the layoff went, which is fine, but the conversation went on a lot too long for my liking. So our CFO was sitting next to me. His first name was Bill. And I whispered in his ear, I said, hey, Billy, what's the likelihood we miss the miss? That is to say, after we announced the layoff and the fact that we are going to miss uh, our numbers, we gave new guidance. And my concern was, and we'd had a long debate about it, how far down should we take the guidance? Well, because if you're going to take it in the shorts, you might as well take it all the way. Anyway, I was concerned we had not taken our guidance down far enough. And since we'd done the layoff, Bill and the sales team had done a powerful kind of bottoms up review of the pipeline. And we hadn't got to that part in the meeting yet. We were still talking about how last week went. And he says to me, I think it's 50-50. That is to say, he thought at that moment there was a 50% chance we were going to miss the numbers that we had uh, already taken down. We're going to miss the miss. So I'm sitting on that information and then the conversation turns to, you know, we really need to uh, do a survey of our people to see how they're feeling now. And a conversation ensues with our uh, leadership team about how we could get a survey rolled out so that we could take the pulse of the company. Well, this fucking conversation goes on. I can't remember exactly how long, but a lot longer than I thought it should. So I literally slam my hand down on the table and I said, what are we fucking talking about i I get that taking the pulse of our people is an important thing however billy just told me there's a 50 50 chance we're going to miss the miss and i think we should stop this conversation and have a conversation about revenue the pipeline our clients and what we're going to do to execute well the people in the room started to argue with me and shit got heated Shit got so heated, I left the room and I got in my car and I drove down the Pacific Coast Highway and I didn't show back up at work for two days. And uh, shortly after that, I was no longer with the company. Well, guess what? That was in kind of October, November timeframe by uh, the first quarter of the next year. So January, March timeframe, the company was in absolute free fall and um, about a year after that the company just sort of vaporized and so why do i share that with you it's a great example of the shit hitting the fan for a company and in my opinion an executive team unwilling to deal with the reality of the situation and unwilling to deal with it with any kind of speed and that's why i got so mad and took off. And, um, that's why the CEO of the company fired me and then the company vaporized. Okay. So that's one story. Let me share you another story. I was uh, my last CMO gig was a company called Mercury interactive and it was a legendary company, the greatest company I was ever the CMO of it was a category king. And then when, when Mercury dominated its original category, we launched an expanded new category that worked. It was incredible. This was a company that executed. This was a company that had vision. This was a company with, with uh, salespeople and engineers and marketing people and leadership who were warriors, who were smart, who thought, who took action. So here's what happens back then. There was a whole thing happening in Silicon Valley where it became clear that a bunch of companies, Apple being one, uh, Mercury being another, and many others, um, got caught doing inappropriate, inaccurate, uh, not cool accounting of stock options. It wasn't illegal. It was called stock option backdating. But what was the problem was how we accounted for them. So in other words, when an employee joined the company instead of granting them stock on the day they joined at whatever price it was, uh, we backdated it to a cheaper price when it was a cheaper price a few weeks ago or whatever the case may be, which it turns out is a totally fine thing to do. However, you have to account for it as such. What's not cool is granting somebody stock options at 10 bucks a share when the stock is worth 20 bucks a share And you don't do the accounting for the Delta, which is what we had not done. Now, of course, at the time, none of this was clear to me because I was a CMO and um, grade three math was the hardest 12 years of my life. And so nobody, uh, nobody would ever confuse me with being in accounting, Never mind understanding the uh, arcane details around stock option accounting. Anyway, here's what happens. It was 2005 and in the spring of that year. Unbeknownst to us, the Securities and Exchange Commission is sort of doing a dragnet in Silicon Valley to try to catch all the companies that did this. And they caught Apple in it and many others. And they caught Mercury in it. And um, we got a letter from the SEC. And they asked our uh, general counsel, our chief legal person, to come to Washington and to testify in front of some group of the SEC voluntarily. Voluntarily. Well, she did that. And um, we didn't think much of it at the time. Certainly I didn't. I figured it would get sorted out, whatever. They had some questions. Maybe there'd be a small accounting adjustment, whatever. It didn't occur to me that we'd been doing anything wrong. And uh, I didn't pay that much attention to it. Well, unbeknownst to the executive team, when she went to Washington to answer those questions in front of the Securities and Exchange Commission, she broke down and cried. Well, I'll tell you what, when a committee of the SEC is interviewing a general counsel and the general counsel cries, bad shit's going to happen. And so bad shit did happen. They immediately launched an inquiry into our accounting. And that was a public statement that we had to make. And in addition to their investigation, we, Mercury, set up a special committee of our board to do an internal investigation. And we made a commitment to the SEC and to the public that um, we would do all this work and we would be radically transparent with the work and turn over everything to the SEC. That started in, in the spring. Well, to net, out, net it out or <laughs> to make a long story longer, by November... I believe it was November 11th, if my memory's right, Uh, we had discovered, sure enough, yes, we had done this inappropriate, inaccurate, um, improper accounting, and it was wrong. And as a result, on one day, we fired our CEO, who was one of our co-founders. We fired our CFO and our general counsel. And our stock dropped, I don't remember exactly, but I think it was kind of in the 45 range and it went below 20. And so it wiped out stock options for many of our people. And even if it didn't wipe out their stock options, it certainly crushed their net worths by a lot. Of course, the other thing that happened was all of our competitors came after us and we were competing against some very big companies back then, including IBM and Hewlett Packard. And they told all of our prospects and customers that we were going out of business, that the company was run by crooks, et cetera, et cetera. You can only imagine what they said. And the irony of the whole thing was, yes, did we do something wrong? Absolutely. However, it was an accounting problem. None of it had anything to do with the growth of the business. And so the, we were not going out of business. We did this fuck up in accounting that was not right. And now we had to atone for it. Okay. Okay. So as we're going through all of that, we're getting ready to make the announcement, the big, horrible announcement that we're firing the our CEO, CFO and GC and that our COO is going to become our acting CEO and all this shit. And we spend days getting ready for this. Most of us didn't sleep for three or four days preparing for all of this. There was all the external part. There was all of the internal part. And we had made a commitment when this horrible thing started that we were going to be radically transparent and we were going to communicate completely as painful as it was the facts as we knew them, as we knew them. And so that was sort of our guiding true north. So we went through the whole thing. And we got eviscerated in the public. Our customers freaked out. Our people freaked out. Even though we had announced the investigation was already going on, most people didn't pay much attention to it. It, Lots of companies were announcing these kinds of investigations and people thought they would just be something that would be settled on the side and that would be that. And so when this announcement got made, it was horrific and in some ways uh, surprising to many. Well, um, it was the end of RQ4 when this happened. And of course, in mid-November, you're also staring down Thanksgiving um, and Christmas and Hanukkah and all the holidays. So we didn't have very much time to execute the quarter. And we thought that this news was probably going to hurt the quarter. And so we had to do everything possible to make two things happen. One, get as much revenue done in that Q4 as possible, because... Most people expected us to have a miss, including ourselves. But if we had a really big miss, it would validate all the things that all the competitors were saying about us and it would put us into a spiral. Um, The second one is we had to keep all of our employees from quitting because what did the competition do? They all hired headhunters and they put them on all our people. And so that on, from a sales perspective, they were telling all of our prospects and customers we're going out of business. And from a recruiting perspective, they were uh, ward dialing all of our people saying, Mercury's going out of business. Come work for us. Needless to say, holding the place together was tough as shit. And here's what happened. There was a core group of executives who came together in one of the most legendary ways I've ever seen. And it was inspiring. We decided we were going to do whatever it took. And we took the pipeline and divided it up amongst the top six executives in the company and said, here are the accounts that you got to go make sure get done and and so forth and so on. And then we took all of our offices around the world. We are a global company with, I don't know, dozens of offices. And we said, we got to fly. An executive needs to fly to each of these offices and keep the puppies in the box and so we all went on a world tour most of us traveled non-stop from two or three days after the horrible announcement to the end of the quarter to try to a bring in the deals and b keep the people focused motivated and let them know we still had a great future so here's what happened we had some executives who melted like snow in july We had some outside advisors, senior people, people with big names and profiles in Silicon Valley who were supposed to be experts at dealing with the toughest of situations, who had panic attacks. There were some people on our board who were terrified. And then there were others on our board, like my friend, Giora Yon. You see, Giora is one of the greatest entrepreneurs in Israel. He's considered to be one of the godfathers of what in Israel they call a startup nation. And while many people were terrified, many people wanted to get out of Mercury because when the Securities and Exchange Commission is investigating you personally, which they did with all the top officers in the company, and of course the entire board, most people are shitting their pants. We didn't have a chairman because our founder CEO was the chairman. Giora Yaron stood up and said, I'll be chairman. I'll deal with the auditors. I'll deal with the lawyers. I'll deal with the SEC. And he and the rest of us stood up. Well, here's what happened Q4, that quarter, ended up becoming the biggest revenue quarter in the company's history. And as we went to go announce the quarter, it's a long story as to why, and I won't bore you with the details, but the net of it is NASDAQ decided to delist us because of all this. So here's what happened. On the day we announced the breakthrough quarter, we also get delisted by NASDAQ and we go to this thing called the pink sheets. And there we are on the pink sheets. It's sort of where the dog stocks go that can't make it onto the NASDAQ or the big, the big kids uh, stock exchanges. So we get pushed to the pink sheets from NASDAQ. We announce our numbers and here's what happens. Our analyst at Goldman Sachs, based on the strength of the quarter, oh, and we also pulled off a strategic acquisition. And truth be told, we did it for two reasons. Number one, it was an acquisition we were considering and thought would be smart to do long before the shit hit the fan. But number two, we also knew that if we could combine a great quarter. With a forward-leaning visionary acquisition, that would be two big symbols to the world that we are far from dead. As a matter of fact, we're stronger than ever. So that's exactly what happened. So on one day, we announced the quarter, we announced the acquisition, and we go to the pink sheets. And our analyst at Goldman Sachs, and it was the first time it ever happened in history, that's what they told us, upgraded the stock and at that point, Goldman had never, this is what they told us, upgraded his stock on the same day that it went to the pink sheets. And uh, the way the movie ends is the following. So that was in the, um, uh, the Q1 of 2006. And towards the end of Q2, we announced the sale of Mercury for $55 a share, which was at 25 or more above where it went after the crash. And uh, for a total of $4.5 billion plus cash, making it about a $5 billion deal. Um, and the company went on to do great things inside of the software group at Hewlett Packard. And so um, what's the point of both stories? The point is, it's incredibly fascinating to be in a moment of pure crisis, where in both the stories I shared with you, the literal um, uh, existential future of the company is at stake. It's an existential crisis for the business, um, and it's fascinating to see who stands up and who melts like snow in July. And I have spent a lot of time thinking about what's the difference. And there are smart people who say, "Well, you know, it's your training or it's your prior experience." Uh, before that or this is one I uh, uh, always pisses me off you know some people got it and some people don't and uh, you can't train toughness you're either you either got it or not well I don't think that's true I actually believe it's a choice and the choice goes like this who do I want to be when the shit hits the fan do I want to be the person that you want in your foxhole or do I want to be the person who cries? And, um, you know, when these situations happen, you think, you know, who's going to do what. And it's very surprising when you see people that you thought maybe wouldn't be able to stand up when the shit hits the fan, stand up and lead. It's inspiring as shit. And it's a giant fucking bummer when you see some of the lions of Silicon Valley, power with their tails between their legs and shit themselves. And I literally have seen executives melt in front of my face. It blew my mind. The first couple times I saw it We're literally it's 3am and you're working on something critical to deal with this crisis. And all of a sudden a very senior person can't even talk. They just crush themselves. We had situations where we needed senior executives and they just disappeared for days. So what I believe is it's a choice. We all have to ask ourselves, who am I going to be when the shit hits the fan? And if things are about to get tough, that's a good question to be asking ourselves right now. I also want to share with you kind of some words of empathy. I'm not talking about being a tough guy or being macho or any of that. Uh, I could tell you I know what it feels like to be on the edge of mental collapse Both in my professional life, in these situations and many others, I have felt like there was no hope. I have felt ineffectual. I have wanted to cry. I have wanted to collapse like many others. I know that feeling. And in my personal life, in the last three years or so, we have had to deal with more horrific tragedy uh, than ever. And um, the kinds of horrific tragedy that most people don't have to deal with, including the murder of one of my best friends And the death of one of my closest friends and the father of an amazing family who are now fatherless. And all that happened in a short period of time during COVID. So, look, I just know how some of this feels to be in a situation of collapse and to feel like you're going to collapse. And what I'd share with you is do whatever you need to do to stay in the fight and win. To be the person that you would want to have with you during a crisis. Stay focused, produce results. And in terms of dealing with your breakdown, your upset, and suffering, it's okay to crash. It's okay to cry. Uh, It's okay to see a therapist. It's okay, if you're a person like me, to spend some time with JD and Mary Jane and to talk to your friends and family. And all of that. And deal with your shit, but don't bring it to work. Do whatever you need to do outside of work so that you can be focused and be that legendary leader that you want to be at work when many others are collapsing. And even at work, it's okay to tell people you're afraid. It's okay to tell people how you feel, but here's what it's not okay to do. It's not okay to melt. It's not okay to stop. It's not okay to wuss out, make a decision to be tough. I think tough is a decision. I think smart is a decision. And one of my favorite quotes, and I have leaned on this quote heavily throughout my life. I have leaned on this quote when I am crying and I feel completely useless and ineffectual and I feel like I don't want to be here anymore. And that quote's from Churchill who said, If you're going through hell, keep going. Now, I also want to share with you a mental framework about this that might help. I was lucky enough recently to record A follow your Different with Roger Martin. And most people think that he is the number one smartest management thinker in the world. Uh, He's won every award you can win for thinking. He was the dean of the business school at uh, University of Toronto uh, in Canada. And, uh, you know, the the former CEO, Ford, described him as the this generation's Peter Drucker. When it comes to smart, this guy's like fuck smart. And one of the questions I asked him when we had our conversation on Folly or Different was, what is thinking? And as we began to unpack what is thinking, Roger introduced a simple but yet powerful framework that runs through his work, which is the delta between reflexive versus reflective thinking. Reflexive is a reflex. So if you've ever ever been to the doctor and she wants to test your reflexes and she bangs your kneecap with the pink hammer and your leg goes, whoop, that's a reflex. Reflective is when you reflect on something. When we ask ourselves, hmm, what do I actually think about this? Hmm, what's the lens I'm using to look at this through? Hmm, what do other smart people say about this? Hmm, what if I'm completely fucking wrong? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. To give things some serious contemplation, to use your brain cells in powerful opening ways, to be curious as opposed to being judgmental. Now, look, there's some times where reflexive thinking is exactly what's required. If you're driving on the road and somebody cuts you off, you will have a reflex action where you'll hit the brake or you'll change lanes or you'll do something. And in that moment, your reflex can save your life. So there's a time and a place where reflexive thinking is very, very powerful, particularly when um, you have to take action immediately. However, here's the rub. We live at a time when most people conflate reflexive for reflective. And real thinking is reflective. And so the challenge in times of crisis is to interrupt your natural reflexive and say, how do I be reflective here? Let me think. Even if it's just for a few minutes before you take action. So, uh, just this simple idea of the delta, the difference between reflexive and reflective. In a moment of crisis, it's a powerful thing if we can train ourselves to take a moment and say, hmm, what do I really think? And one of my favorite questions in these moments of crisis, and in moments of importance, frankly, I love to ask myself, If I was legendary, what would I do now? If I was legendary, what would I do now? So I would encourage you in moments of crisis, if you want to be the person that stands up versus fall down, think in reflective ways, be smart, and then take decisive action. Now, here's the thing on the action side in moments of crisis, we often face a decision or an action that we have to take in the face of very little data or information. And we don't have time to get the data or information. And so we have to be willing to take a judgment risk in the face of very little or no data. Sometimes we also have to be able to take a decisive action in the face of no clear path. Sometimes it's not obvious what there is to do, or sometimes there's three or four options that look like they're wise and it can be very hard, particularly when you are reflecting quickly, which is often the case in a moment of crisis, when you realize there's three potential paths forward, but it's not clear no matter how much reflective thinking you allow yourself and the, and the people, the committed people around you, uh, there's no clear path forward. Sooner or later, we have to put a flag in the ground and say, go. And in those moments, ask, if I was legendary, what would I do now? Now, think, 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 act, and then commit to and produce results. Here's the reality about business. The truth is, it's the same in life. A big part of who you are is your results. Leaders are not paid to show up at parties. Leaders are paid to produce results no matter the odds, no matter how fuck things look. Be that person. Make the choice to be the legendary person. Make the choice to be the person your colleagues, friends, and family will respect and admire for producing results. And if you make that choice, you will be thanked and appreciated by your colleagues, your friends, your family, and in some cases, your category and industry for the rest of your life. All right, we would like to thank you. Thank you so much. We deeply appreciate your time and attention. I hope this episode made a giant difference to you. My friends at Play Bigger are the uh, first category design advisors on the planet. Check out playbigger.com today if you want help designing and dominating your market category and driving growth no matter what the circumstance. My friends at Autranet are the uh, leaders in B2B website building in Silicon Valley. A-T-R-E dot N-E-T today and they offer a rapid relaunch program so if you want to produce a legendary website in a record amount of time check out A-T-R-E dot N-E-T. My friends at Clary.com that's C-L-A-R-I dot com are the leaders in revenue. Now, more than ever, is a great time to be focused on revenue. And if you want to have a breakthrough in revenue, check out clary.com. also want to remind you to join me at Cloud Wars Expo, June 28 through 30, 2022, cloudwarsexpo.com. All right. I need to remind you that today's information is provided to you solely for informational purposes. And this oddcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network. Please don't forget to consult your lawyer, doctor, shaman, mystic, yoga instructor, and category designer before acting on any of today's information. Also, uh, please be aware the creators of this podcast were absolutely consuming cocktails. Thinking about thinking is the most important kind of thinking. And everything is the way that it is. Because somebody changed the way that it was. We are produced and edited by the GOAT himself, Jason Filippo. Check out his podcast, Grumpy Old Geeks. My friends Sarah Knox and Jamie J do our legendary technical execution around here, and they build lockhead.com. Don't forget, you can go to lockhead.com right now and subscribe to Category Pirates. Uh, show notes by GM Simon. The Bobus Brothers do our web development. Thanks, gentlemen. And Cedric Biros is responsible for our graphic and web design. Our law firm is Weed and Jack. And our accountants are three balance sheets to the wind. All right, the thought I'll leave you with today is uh, another one from uh, Churchill, one of my absolute favorites. Never let a good crisis go to waste.